0: Welcome to Rooster Radio. I'm Andrew Montessi with James Begley. This is a particularly special episode because we sit down with one of our favourite roosters, Crispian Filkey, who we've shared an office with over the last couple of years and have seen firsthand how he and his team have built a city small bar scene. Crispian is co-owner of Clever Little Taylor, one of Adelaide's top bars, which regularly gains recognition in the national press, and is sought after by local punters like myself, along with slightly bigger names including Mick Jagger. He's also co-owner of the iconic Pink Moon Saloon, a bar that has cleaned up national and international awards, including Gourmet Traveller Bar of the Year. And he's set to open the ambitious Port Admiral Hotel, a pub that has been derelict for many years in Port Adelaide. For Crispian, this life is about much more than business. It is deeply personal. His passion for hospitality started in his hometown of Loxton. Is tied to his love for people and local footy culture, and evolved as he built a career in fine dining locally and internationally. It was one conversation with his mate Josh Baker that changed everything. Enjoy the dulcet tones of Crispian Filkey. Crispian Filkey,
1: welcome to Rooster Radio.
2: Thank you, James.
1: I'm not sure that there's been as much anticipation or excitement in the Rooster Coop um, as leading into this podcast. Andrew, I'm not sure if you'd agree with me, but we're fairly excited.
2: Giddy. I'm I'm, I'm matching that with a level of uh, sweaty palm and general... uh General towiness.
1: General towiness. Well, that, I don't, I don't really know the, what's going on, James. Yeah. I've, I've maintained well, that the whole way. You're in way. safe hands here uh, with the Rooster podcast. Um, I'm going to take you back to uh, high school and in particular finishing high school. Our research has dug up the fact that in your manual school yearbook, it's alleged that when you were asked about what you want to do with the rest of your life, you said you wanted to be in pubs and own a pub within 10 years. I said said in
2: my pub in 10 years' time. In your pub. And so in 1995, in the paranoia of the 90s and the general excitement of leaving school, it's the only answer I could come up with because it was the only thing that sat in my heart, Jim. Uh, Truly. And I I think that that's a pretty harsh question, really, to a... a lad who doesn't know what's going to happen next.
1: But it was clearly a passion. This was in your blood. This was something that you um, were really, you know, wanting to get into.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I reckon I pegged it. I pegged hospitality, oh, I think, since I can remember. But, and you'll probably get to that in a little while when we talk about the great sporting clubs of country South Australia. <laughs> but I know that, uh, I reckon, I reckon it's, yeah, it's, it's mid year 12 and even a bit earlier, probably late year 11. And when you are a boarder, you're forced to go home on exiates, which I'm sure you all know about. But the Exiot weekend allows you to then go and stay with a mate in the country. Or you go home and see mum and dad. And mum and dad were fine in year 12 for me to go and stay with Paul Linkey and Drossen and go down to Beachport with Luke Morgan and, you know, get on the bus, right? And so there's the Franklin Hotel, which is opposite the bus station. And only uh, <laughs> there was a pecking order of who could, of who could go and illegally buy a beer. And I was plan A. How Fil- old were you? Filks- Filks was plan A. Oh, well, we were, what, 16 turning 17.
0: What did you look like? Were you a wispy little kid? Or- I, was,
2: I was definitely a little bit thinner, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, I was the gangly kid for sure. I wasn't, I wasn't the contested mark on the half-forward line because I was definitely running off. Yeah. Yeah.
1: One, one step back again. What's life like growing up in the Riverland? Growing up in Loxton, can you paint a picture of what it was um, to be a country boy?
2: I can. I can. It's pretty great to go back on that a little bit. I had my mum and dad over for for dinner on Saturday night, which doesn't happen much anymore because of life and busy times and whatever. Uh, I, it really exists in quite a beautiful place for me. And I don't go back a lot because mum and dad are down here so much and whatever. I don't have a lot of friends, perhaps, that are carried over from down there. So a lot of my friendship circle and you know professional circle or whatever that might be is are all from Probably the Emmanuel experiences and hospitality. So when I go home, it is very much just to see mum and dad and some family. To answer your question, it so it really is just exists as a bit of a, uh, a, a, bit of a special moment in time, you know. And I can I look back on it so fondly. It was kind of hard work and sort of I'm not going to, you know, get the violin out, but there was it was work for sure. So we, we worked from, from I can remember. So we had Doing jobs what? to do every morning and every night. Like what? We had, uh, we had chickens. And we were not going to school until we picked up the eggs. And as soon as we got home from school, we picked up the eggs. So that was a no-brainer. So that was seven days a week. We weren't, we weren't going down the street to the shops buying anything until we did our work to get our, you know, to get so our money in the house. So
0: hit pause. So what, what did your parents do? Were you on a farm? Yeah, yeah sure. Sorry. Yeah. So that's
2: farm, farm life. Um, yep. Great life. Really great life. I had a great upbringing. I had, some, I had terrific parents and, you know, had a real loving environment and pretty close little, you know, circle of filkies. And uh, the community was... Certainly, all sport and uh, you know there was church. I guess very important for mum and dad. Sport, community—that uh, sort of just rotated in a bit of a triangle of activity, really. So farm life was pretty important. we the house wasn't on the farm; it was about three k's away. My uncle Trevor lived on the farmhouse, so they farmed it together, Trevor and Rex. And yeah, it was it was it was quite an involved farm life. There was always towing and froing in the hillocks and going down to the. You know the paddocks and picking up dad and dropping off his dinner during harvest and all that.
1: Um, one of the questions which we've asked a few times on Roost Radio is, what was the dinner table, table ritual like? Um, we like to to get a very clear understanding of, um, you know, the the routines involved with dinner.
2: Yes, right, yeah, sure. Two older brothers, so yeah, I reckon it was all pretty fair. Although they won't say that, you know, but it was it was all pretty. So my oldest brother's nine years older than me. So when he went to work for elders in Pinaroo in after year twelve, what was I? So I was you know I was like a nine year old kid. So he'd left he'd left home, which was quite sort of not upsetting, but so it was a bit down. like yeah, he one down. And then you've got Rowan, who then went to Emmanuel himself for a year. So he left a couple of years after that. Was so it, dinner was it, so t- no nah, well, dinner was dinner was dinner's good dinner. Mum <laughs> mum you know mum 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 made a deal of it. There was always three courses essentially. Maybe, everyone, maybe everyone not, sat up. Maybe not during the week, but there TV, was cooked dessert every night. T, was all,
1: TV involved? Was there sitting up? Was there conversation? Was it a formal affair? It
2: was or formal. It was definitely formalised for sure.
0: Meat and three veg. Yeah, absolutely. Over. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah,
2: no, the Pav in summer for sure, you know? <laughs> but I think the, so when I just refer to that sort of community of Riverland in particular, like you are eating the fresh peaches with ice cream for dessert in summer, mm-hmm. and in winter you're having the preserved ones, you know. So it really had that really had that end to end food environment too.
1: And by the time then you got to board at manual, and you're, you know, uh, mixing with city kids, did you get an appreciation of how different your upbringing was at that point? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. It's like. Um, What's stood It's out? like high, high-end excitement when you go to town, you know? Well, I reckon billeting, footy, you know, that's your first look at it, isn't it? Probably before before manual, before boarding. So you get billeted for Westies. And what are you, 14, 15, even younger, probably. Under 15s? Yeah, sure. And so hey, boy, you're staying can't. with a family in like uh, in Belair, and you're you, you're having Hungry Jacks for dinner, and it's remarkable. Just wild. So now there's a bit of a taste for that, and I reckon that little that that distance thing—the two and a half hours from Riverland to, to Adelaide—was this. It was a build-up to get down there. Mum's folks lived in the Barossa, so we'd often stop halfway, and yeah, it was uh, it was pretty exciting. So that always attracted. It was very clear very early that neither myself or my two older brothers were going to be the farmers. So that was it. Didn't really ever enter my mind to become a farmer. You mentioned that. Pubs were
0: part of your life. What were your early memories of pubs? And I want. say I think no,
2: no. So I think so. Up up there, it's community clubs. Yep. And sort of sporting clubs. So probably the one with the most bricks and mortar resonance about it is that stunning Art Deco Renmark Hotel. So I used to stare at that, wondering what on earth goes on in there. So I do remember thinking that. But How old reckon, were you when you were staring at it? Oh, you know, 9, 10, 8, yep. 9, 10. I just, I do remember that one vividly because that's on the, on the river there. Mm-hmm. Like the Loxton pub in particular is pretty stunning though. Community run hotels. So it's a bit of a different game. You're not, they're probably not that what they are down here with, you know, the established publican, you know, calling the shots. But early on it was quite clear that there was this social connection interaction and I reckon it was probably even more sporting clubs. So my old man was a, uh, a footy commentator for 19 years in uh, the Riverland on 5RM. And 5RM, 8.01 AM, uh, took the second half live of the match of the day every Saturday. So, my Saturdays, because we'd play on the Sunday, so you know what's it's like when you grow up, you know, or you, your game's on the Sunday, you've got that whole Saturday to. So, my Saturdays were spent carrying dad's kid bag, leather bag, up to the commentary box at various grounds across the Riverland for as long as I can remember. And it really was probably my job that I wanted to. And, like I said, when, the, when my older brothers left home, I, that's all I did. I wasn't hanging out home, I was going to dad with the foot. Dad, going to footy with that, so that to me, I reckon, started it and established then that afterwards, after the game, after a kick on the oval, and it got dark, you're in the club and you're you know you're you're getting jugs of Fanta <laughs> and you're looking <laughs> at the players that you've watched and idolised a bit and yeah. So to me, it exists in this in this uh, almost palatial sense of society. It sounds a bit bullshit. I'm not trying to suggest no, no, no. that it's hierarchy or just. It always just existed as a golden place.
1: You held it in a very high place. I and did, and it probably and
2: it had nothing to do with probably food and booze in particular. I know that there was a bit of carry-on going on, and I could see, you know, when Nobby faulting fell over and he shouldn't have, and I could see when, when there was a bit of carry-on or whatever. But sorry, Nobby, if you ever listen to this, I don't know you that well. Um, I, remember, I do remember you getting 30-odd touches every now and then. But... Um, so, yes, it really did exist quite quite early on in my head as a wonderful thing to do.
1: And before we move past these childhood years, was there any um, pain from your dad's point of view that none of the kids were going to look after the farm?
2: No. See, that was the great thing. And that's why I refer to mum and dad in this, Yeah, you know, everyone's relationships with their parents are quite complex and you know, take many forms. I I now have this, I think, getting older and understanding and having family of my own that they actually gave us a ripping childhood with so much love and no guilt whatsoever attached about the farming thing. So, and I know that didn't exist for other people. I know that there's probably people on the land now that didn't have the choice. So, and that goes back a bit. There's a bit of a backstory about my old man not wanting to be a farmer and I'll, you know, might leave it there, but he wanted to do something else and he, he definitely couldn't go and do that. So, yeah, oh, no, 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 there was no, none of that.
0: Was so, so was it clear as a youngster that your parents were basically saying you're free to
2: choose your own life? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it wasn't – I wasn't – They weren't advising very heavily. Like I still, I still just pointed at a uni degree and sort of – and I enrolled in a Bachelor of Management at University of SA. I did not know what it meant, but I just did it, you know. <laughs> So I was still a bit unsure at that time. I always saw that, that that further education was just going to be a conduit to being in hospitality anyway. So, but yeah, no, it was pretty. Um, it was it was very very clear that we could we could make our own choices, which was great.
1: As we finish the high school years and you've you, you're you know, en- enroll in a management degree, were you at that point working casually in and around the hospitality game?
2: How good's Campari, by the way? Mm,
0: yeah. Well, we, the good people already. of Campari. We should from, mention that we're sipping Campari with um, a bit of pirate life ale. And I you explain the relationship
2: RPA. between the two is important. Oh, it is for me. I don't know how it translates for everyone else, James, but uh, it they play off each other. I think the Campari is that bitter element which you are almost at odds with and then you get the wash of hops and the glorious uh, attenuation of ale yeast.
1: I'm, I'm actually – Really looking forward to uh, where we're <laughs> going to go with some of these uh, discussions, Monty. More
2: <laughs> Campari. Uh, we're but, already uh,
0: just switching between subjects beautifully, yeah. which are so seamless. We
2: cans there, Jim. Um, what do you have yeah, Great, thanks. Uh,
1: so we've got we've got to um, uni. Are you working casually in and around I am, the bar yeah, yeah. For scene sure, where, where for sure? For sure. Where was your first sort of hospitality job? Can I just go back job? to the
2: Hotel Franklin, sorry, because oh, I don't yeah. know if I just quite finished that. So it was, it was the plan A was that I go and get the beer, yeah. Mm-hmm. So four schooners. So it was a big deal. Can I just say, with no ego attached whatsoever, that Plan A never failed. <laughs> so, uh, with respect to Rowan Coots now living in the Mid North and Travis Modra, uh, Plans B and C, that there was this moment in time when you came back to the table as an illegal sixteen-year-old <laughs> with the four schooners. You no, know, I, I can actually see how it Got. worked.
0: So, I see this wispy kid, and they go, "All right." This kid's 16, but yeah. then you open your mouth and they hear your voice <laughs> and, and you purr yeah. like Probably a 45-year-old man who smoked maybe a couple of, pa- couple of yeah. boxes darts. of yeah.
2: darts. I was having a look at Port Royal by then, sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. So that, uh, I don't know how I'm trying to try and tie that in. It was, uh, that's what happened at school. So then, so that is a manual. A manual then by then. So by mid-year 12, I'm pretty certain that I don't want to get into this game a bit. I uh, didn't really, still didn't really know what it all meant. But I just knew that. Then it's people, man, and we'll probably talk about people a fair bit later. But so much interaction, people, people, people. You know, so it was you really were quite. Th- I was thriving on that.
0: You knew you wanted to be in the game, as you said. But at that point, you, you want to, want to
2: own. I want to. I also just wanted to listen to the Smashing Pumpkins and go to parties. So yeah. it was not. It was not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what happened was, um, so we'd pick fruit every summer. So the date, because there wasn't really a, a paid job on the farm to be had because that was all dry land farming on tractors. From the age of 10 through to 17 or 18, um, for for the nine weeks over summer holidays, we would pick fruit and get paid for it. Or we'd start by cutting fruit. You know, that was the hierarchy there. So a 10, 11, 12-year-old are cutting trays of apricots, getting paid a dollar a tray. Um, I once cut trays of apricots with the great Phil Morris, former West Adelaide back pocket.
1: Most of the listeners will hear these names and have
2: absolutely no idea. Phil Morris was about as hard as they went, Jim, should be noted. But um, so then you sort of progressed to the picking trucks at about age 14 and that's when you start seeing, yeah. seeing blokes roll a cigarette in, in the apricot um, trees and that's when you start to perhaps grow up a little bit, I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think this is the first time Rooster Radio is going to need show notes and we're going to have to reference every single kind yeah. of yeah. SNFL Amateur League yeah. player that um, Crispy oh, I don't, I don't, or, and, and I have apricots <laughs> for
2: too many, but it Phil, was worth a mention. Yeah. Um, no, no, so, uh, so sorry, I then, I then do – so that's probably eight years of picking apricots, you know. So then I'm 18 and, then, and you sort of break it to mum and dad that next summer you don't want to come and pick apricots because I'm going to stay in the city.
1: They're probably thinking, we thought you were going to come and tell us this <laughs> three years ago.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I mean, my mum will tell you that it breaks her heart still a bit that I left a bit too early and all that. Carry on. However, um, you know, that's a whole other story. Love you, Lorraine. Um, the, so that's, that summer, I remember it vividly. So the first time I didn't go home to Gabriel Gros, but I did have a job, Monty. I had a job at Vlad's, number 48, number 50 only road. Vlad's was modern European. It was owned by Andy and Alex. Andy Crone um, was a great family friend and gave me my first job in hospitality. So I was on the floor. No, I was in a the kitchen there with the odd bar shift by the time I turned 18. And then I was um, backing that up at Café Bonjourno Mitchum
1: Wow, and I was living. It wasn't in, that
0: gourmet? You know, I've, time, wasn't when, it I've done a, I've done a few to, calzones there. <laughs> yeah. I think
2: we've all got pan con moments in our life, <laughs> and wherever they are for you, you know, it could be Amalfi, it could be Buongiorno, it could uh, be. Yeah, sure. I worked
0: at Mama Camella's for two years, so kind of that yes, same, you
2: yeah, that same. What the bloods though, didn't you, Monty? What are you doing on that side of town? Yeah, What's I going went down The Bay. Oh, okay. it's the Sacred Heart. Oh, Mama Camella at the Bay. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. sure.
1: I have to bring up the, the sport because it's difficult to talk about your upbringing uh, without running the two threads in parallel. At this point, who were your sporting idols, your football idols and cricket idols? Well, I
2: was, so, yeah, there's, there's the three. So there's the, the trinity of sport, yeah, excuse me, in our family. <laughs> uh, that would be the, the uh, football, Australian football, cricket and basketball. So they – so you're, you're never without sport. Sport is always with you in my head. So you aren't footy season's over and it's and it's done and you go and do something else. It's not. It's it's always with you. And I think that thankfully the NBA season bleeds into footy season, which then bleeds into cricket season when it starts again. So it's always with you. And you're asking me about a, you're asking me, James, to to talk about great men and women. Are you going to start crying? <laughs> I don't know.
0: He's, he's starting to get a bit of a cry. Yeah.
2: I just think I think it's a pretty good question because you you do. I attached a, I attached a fair bit to it, growing up and. People absolutely tease me about it. I mean, it's fine. I know that what you mean, following St Kilda you what? is not the easiest thing to do.
0: About your sporting oh, team probably, choices. I'm talking about the
2: Saints in particular. Yeah. So so you asked me about who I was really, yeah. I mean, my St Kilda love only grows. The, the, the more we don't have a flag, the, the deeper it goes. So by then, what, late 90s? Late 90s, I'm watching Adelaide beat St Kilda in 97. <clears throat> I'm watching... Um, You know, I'm watching Stan Alves nearly get us there. And like, so you temper that though then with driving to the MCG to watch Steve Waugh make 100 against England, but still lose on day five of the Ashes. So you sort of, it's always with you sport. However, the obvious answer to your question is a multitude of St Kilda players. I had an obsession with Stuart Lowe. Uh, We will now talk about Stuart Lowe for six minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I had an obsession with Stuart Lowe. I started... um, the obsession after I saw a picture in Sports Illustrated of him holding 24 eggs and maybe it was that Connect collection with the egg job in the morning <laughs> when I saw him cradling two dozen. I just knew that, I, that he was my boy, yeah? But Buckets was pretty incredible in my head and I reckon, and there was no internet of course whatsoever and you find information in magazines and you just- I don't know. I, I honestly think that that maybe made it more passionate. Family now, history of St Kilda support, or where did it come none, from? None, none, no, no. It's it's
0: bizarre because good mate of mine, Benny Avery, another Loxton boy, another mad slash angry slash bitter St Kilda fan.
2: I'm, I'm none of those two things, am I, Monty? No, no, no. You're no, just. I'm a bit grumpy lately. No, but. You're right. Well, um,
0: I wondered, was there some type of security No, there, wasn't. no there really wasn't.
2: There really wasn't. I remember, look, it started for me. So I remember Pluggers' uh, brown in 97, which he shared with the rat. And uh, that sort of got me really – I was I was there already, but that got me really, you know. Um, I just remember – I can tell you. I can tell you the moment it tipped. The Adelaide Crows came in in 91. Granny Filkey got the first kick for the Crows. He's my second cousin. Mum and dad bought me a number 30 Crows top, the Crows Guernsey. Um, sort of suggesting that perhaps this is your time to, to come on over. The to transition. Westlake's. And I put it in the drawer and and then I am, I'm, I'm carrying dad's kit bag upstairs to the commentary box at Loxton North one day at Panther Park. Mm-hmm. And on, um, this is now in 92. So I was still just just in there. I was hanging in there. And I just vividly remember that we beat Collingwood in the 92 elimination final. And Lohan Lockett and Winmar had an absolute day out. And I watched it eating twisties inside panther park inside the great Loxton north um uh, club rooms i can't stand the panthers but they did have a great club room and we got up we beat collingwood and that was it i was a saint so i don't know if that answers your question but that's where it really goes it goes, oh, from actually, it goes you, strength to strength yeah what so, was the question how well, an,
1: it's it's in parallel It's this idea of hospitality and sport mm. so yeah, okay. running through your blood
2: yeah um well, or and- you ask me about well we know you asked me about what i was who i was really into so the, mm. the, I'm, I'm talking about the saints genesis Stewie Lowe comes fourth in the 92 Brownlow. I'm locked. I'm away. I'm done. It's, I'm a saint forever. And quite honestly, like I said, I'm deeper than ever. And it's all pretty great and sad and beautiful.
1: Looking back on you as a child, you talked about your, your ability to, um, I guess, interact and be with people, and hospitality is all about people. Um, how do you describe yourself as a, as a kid?
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. What? Like as a youngster? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I smile in my mind because I think I was pretty well That's friendly what I was, was going
1: to say. I think you strike me as an incredibly positive person, but sometimes your own sort of experiences and the way that you felt isn't necessarily matched with how other people perceive it. So, yeah, how did you experience your world? As I remember
2: I remember a constant desire to, to make people happy in, in little ways, you know. So, And that, I think, comes back um, in later life. I think that it is a trait which needs a bit of work. Um, I'm quite open about that with my business partners about how <laughs> I, I need a bit of um, check on that sometimes. Uh, so I remember that. I remember being, you know, working, working. A,
0: a check on what? Like oh, people-pleasing nature. Yeah, that
2: people-pleasing thing can be yep. a bit dangerous, I think, not at times. No. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's not even that as much as just um, perhaps forgetting a few things along the way just in the pursuits of keeping people happy. I'm talking, that's, that's a pretty pointy-ended thing. I, I certainly don't walk around like that no. at all times. It's just, I, I remember a, a deep desire, and that probably stems from being the youngest, I reckon, mm. you know, in that house, the hierarchy of getting your attention and whatever. Mm. So making sure I was a good boy. I was a pretty good boy, hey? Mm. Yeah. yeah I reckon no, good I was a good boy. Sure. I started rolling cigarettes with the boys in year 12 and like, you know, starting to get my game on. <laughs> <laughs> and whatever. buying underage booze, you've already all brought like that started up pretty quickly. Slayer, Run DMC, you know, yeah. all those naughty bands. But, yeah, I was a pretty good kid, I reckon.
1: From the, your first hospitality job to then the point at which it became more serious, what happened?
2: Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, it became serious after that sort of first. So I left school in 95, 96, 97, and that's what I'm doing. Like, so I'm starting to then obsess about um, the next place of work, you know, and you start, start to map it out a little bit. So what I've done that, I've done the, hot, I've, I've the done cafe, point, I've you. done cafe and I've done, you know, kitchen restaurant now, I want to do this, I want to do that. So you do start to roadmap it a bit, um, <laughs> the late 90s, Jim. <laughs> well, you were doing pre-seasons over in, uh, over in the Bay, weren't you? No, the Bay dirt. area. Oh, you are at Sturt, of course. Yeah. So look, you, well, you know what they are, mate. Well,
1: <laughs> well tapas, uh, so
2: let's, let's do it by general region. I think that tapas in in Rundle Street, along with the Exeter and the Austral, sure, um, too
1: grungy for Sturt boys. We were, yeah, it no, way too grungy for
2: you. So, oh, absolutely. So then that whole, that whole Havelock, havelock Made a Magpie havelock, and, made magpie. Uh, what was that, Kent, the Kent Town? yeah. So that and was the all.
0: Royal. When did we get
2: to Joplin's? Yeah, so the Royal and Joplin's were what the Goody Saints and Adelaide boys did most of. So it That's was it. the Royal Joplin's action. Yeah. No, they were hot. Um, in the food sense though, you're asking me about food and the work thing. I was pretty obsessed then with um, skilling up. So I I had in my head, excuse me, um, essentially, you know, a fine dining sort of plateau to get to. So that that to me was, that became sort of the new pinnacle. So whilst I can drink in pubs, I can't own one yet in my head. I I sort of reach for that dining thing. And for me, that was Simon Kadachi's melting pot, which existed to me and I saw her today in the street, Eloise. I remember her on the floor there and she's a great friend and most of those crew are, all well, we're all, you know, industry mates. But- so
0: it was to work.
2: No I, no, I didn't notice. ever work at that place. I've, I went that there a half a dozen times or maybe 10 times over the course of that period. But, you know, that was that, that existed in my head as probably the pinnacle of Adelaide um, scene, whatever. So whatever that means, and that's, that's, a, that's a moment in time in your head. Yeah, that was, that was pretty great in my head. But I reckon you're totally right spot on about that pub scene that sort of existed right alongside of all that. Mm-hmm. So you find yourself at Joplin's with the boys from footy one of them's, you know, drinking something out of a thing and the other one's doing something that he shouldn't be doing. <laughs> and it's an entirely different scene, isn't it? Yeah. But it is all ultimately hospitality. So you're making, you're making it up as you go a bit. In these early
0: years of hospitality, what are you learning? What are your kind of key takeaways?
2: A few – there's some pretty dodgy operators. So I think I learned a lot about
1: – What were some of the tricks of the trade oh, back then?
2: I mean <laughs> – no lawyer. Should, we, should we get some lawyers in? No, it was very- You don't have to give names. No, there was, you know, you were getting paid cash a bit too much and you definitely cash. didn't get super. I'm definitely missing super for a few years. Like that's, you know, um, the things that I will probably now obsess about in business, you know, I'll probably learn a few of those lessons. And then they're, they're things that are now have legal boundaries. So it's not. It's a no-brainer now. It's just that you had to have a bit of strength in of character to navigate your way. Otherwise, you probably got left behind a bit, I think. Especially if you, wanted, if you wanted, if especially if you, exactly, if you, especially if you want to get somewhere, and it never dawned on me that you could take it overseas. until I met my wife and we did it together. We went overseas and I kept kept going. So, so we, we flew, Tell flew. Yeah, yeah. So we, um, I probably plateaued a bit, and then I, I did go from. Uh, I worked at um, Schmidty's Garage, running the bar there after a succession of places. Like I did six months in probably quite a few places over two or three years. Like the store when the line arts bar was a bar, um, I worked at Charlie's Feed Store for three weeks, which was is now the Belgian Beer Cafe. I remember, uh, yeah, d- yeah, Bin Two Seven Three Rundle Street for a couple of months. You know, so there was those jobs along the way. But then I I plateaued a bit, of probably, and I was getting a little bit tetchy, and I left Schmidty's after a year and a half, which was a great restaurant at the time. I mean, there was a there were cars in the restaurant, which was pretty big for Adelaide. <laughs> <laughs> So that then, I was at the Crown and Scepter then. So I was running the restaurant next to the Crown and Scepter, which was called Sweet Beats. It just got folded into the pub later, just the Crown and Scepter. We had a great time there. And I, that's when I met Josh Baker, um, who was also drinking up at the Ed. The Edinburgh Hotel is something we should talk about. But yeah, um, the that time, I'm... Seeing my current wife, my current wife, did I just say that? <laughs> 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 my now wife, Jess, is with uh, me at the Crown and Scepter. She's also working. We then make the call and we, we fly overseas. She was always going to go, I followed, essentially. When you say
1: you plateaued a bit, I, one of my f- uh, housemates, uh, Blake Davies, used to work at the TA and um, along with Lee Kelly. And most of their nights, well, they didn't finish at night. It was more finish at the Strathmore at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. Was the drinking a big part of your world as yeah. well as the working? Uh-huh. Like, does that, and does yep. that get to you?
2: Yeah. Well, nah. yeah. You're pretty young and fit, though. So you can, you know, you, you are drinking late and then you're, you're still playing footy on Saturdays, but then you're going straight to work afterwards. Like, could you, you can't even think about doing that now. Um, I should be should mentioning that Shane Entridge of Proof plays for Mount Barker every Saturday and then and backs it up. So, you know, there's a guy getting it done still. <laughs> so, it, yeah, yeah, it gets there for sure.
1: So, got, anyway, you jump on a plane and with a mission to do what?
2: Yeah, I was I was pretty, I was pretty um, naive about it all. I'd never been um, north of Darwin, you know. Did so, you have a passport? Probably yeah, 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 yeah. No, I went to Fiji as a one-off after winning a competition at the mobile service station on Pulteney Street. So that was a one-off. <laughs> Can you want to hear that story quickly? Yep. We left the seven stars, myself and my mates and my cousin Karen, Toddy. Shout outs to Toddy. Toddy and I, bought, he's buying a farmers' union. I'm buying a pouch of tobacco. We're at the mobile on Poultney Street. Um, I was wearing a Radiohead OK computer t shirt. Uh, he enters, I enter. You win, you take me. We, if we win, we'll take each other. I'm back at the Cafe Montreal and I'll get a call on a Friday night, two weeks later. Guess what? We're going to Fiji. So that was my first time overseas. Anyway, we jumped. Uh, we jumped. To OS, Jess and I went and lived in London for six months, and then we lived in Belfast for close to two years. We were away for just over two years all up. So, pretty incredible time.
0: So you you followed Jess? What was she doing?
2: No, no. Well, so we were together, but it was clear that travel was on the cards. Okay. There was we plateaued a bit. Like I said, you know, was, I'd, I'd been, I'd been I'd yeah, at the sector like, for two she years. She had an amazing job. No, and no, no, take no. no. But you know, she was sort of striving a bit yeah. as well to, you know. Um, See what was out there.
1: At this point, and it might be just before you left, you've got the ambition potentially of being in hospitality, of owning your own pub or or being in control of your own world. But in terms of the craft of hospitality, what were the bits at this point that you just loved, the things that kept the passion alive? Yeah, sure.
2: So I'd walk in. So we'd go to Melbourne and you'd go to the Melbourne wine room in 1998 and you'd get a bowl of green olives with a napkin served by someone it was exquisite, and it wasn't happening in Adelaide. So there was—it was always this feeling that there was something more elevated, and I guess that's that fine dining aspect that you sort of you, you search out. It still happens—you search out these dining experiences, and that really sort of traction's your mind in hospitality. I think. I think if it was all the same, it'd be a pretty dull environment. But everyone's got their eyes on what's next and what's happening, and so to, I think at that time, at that time, it was a pretty, it was a pretty. Uh, the service aspect of it all was very much motivating to me. The idea that you can execute an incredible service and pull off a really solid section in a, in a one-star restaurant with you know knowledge from end to end, faultless. The idea that it's almost faultless and perfect. And I know that sounds a bit, nichey or whatever, but that was probably what was driving me a little bit. It sounds like an absolute load of bullshit, doesn't it? But I remember it vividly. I, I know what that sort of feels like as well. When you get ready for a service and you pull it off and you'd execute with a See, team of people. I think there's nothing, there's no feeling quite like that.
1: And it's a, it's easy to talk about uh, things now feeling like, you know, what were, what were you thinking? But Adelaide has changed incredibly in 15 years. So what you would consider as kind of stock standard now just didn't exist back then.
2: Yeah. No, I would definitely suggest that. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember that I mentioned before, Charlie's Feed Store or um, that site saw a couple of people try to go through it. That was a really aspirational site too. And I know that then Simon had melting pot. There really wasn't much else. Chong was at the Grange. I was too scared to go into the Grange probably because (laughs) I probably couldn't afford it, but it was, they did, they had this level of, I can't quite articulate it. It was a real aspirational thing in that sense. So the pub thing still existed very strongly in my backbone, but I had to go and find out. So I went to London and worked. So I just did a week here, a week there, a week there, not and and worked for free a bit and sort of just did you know I'll work for this week for you and we'll see how it goes and I jumped around a bit worked at, worked for Gordon Ramsay for three services you know um, worked, what was that like uh, oh, I'd never met him like it was, <laughs> I'm just saying that at the at the restaurant it was, like, all I did was prepare um, citrus slices for the for the afternoon tea we well, are the citrus yeah you yeah.
1: are the Riverland boy. <laughs>
2: and, So, and then, so her house in London where it was just clearing glasses, but you could, you know, spot a few celebs. So there was this funny, but I ended up in a really great little Italian diner in Notting Hill for about four or five months. It was brilliant. We went to visit a friend in Dublin, a dear friend of ours living in Dublin. We were having Christmas with her. So we had, we packed everything up. We left our little pad in London and then we really couldn't leave. We went around the South of Ireland and then back to Dublin, had about 200 quid left. Went shit. We better go North with an idea to get to Glasgow, Edinburgh, probably. Got to Belfast, couldn't leave. Belfast, amazing. Loved it. Will always love it. Really, really great town. Two two years, Belfast? Yeah, I guess so. Well, not quite, actually. Probably more like 20 months, yeah.
0: So this little roadshow you're doing over a few years, what were the key differences from a hospitality perspective?
2: Oh, yeah, again, you're, you're sort of presented with what's new, what's next, you know. So you probably impress on your first few shifts because you come across as a really, you know, hardworking, Australian friendly, you know, and so you actually get a bit of a leg up by virtue of your, probably your, your nature and you know, how it's going and you do need to survive a bit. So you try and pull off great shifts and you know, you, Mm. you really are working hard. Then I think you're exposed to just this, and certainly in the dining game, there's this whole element of dishes and ingredients that you don't see. So that was just purely interesting on its own for the first sort of year. I was skilled up a bit by then and, you know, had gone through quite a few wine courses and was starting to really, you know, love that side of things. Mm-hmm. And really, I think it was all relationship-based by then. It was By then it was becoming clear that it was very much people, you know. Mm-hmm. People were always a thread of that game, a front of house. But by now I'd probably really started to think that if you had relationships and you had the right things going on for you, you could maybe be a partner in a place. Mm-hmm.
1: All your venues currently have a really great atmosphere. Very make you feel very comfortable. Um, did you feel comfortable in these sort of fine dining places? Like, did it? Did it strike you as oh, I want to? I want to be here. You know, I feel comfortable. This is me.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I think I, th- I think you probably know the answer. That by towards the end of that period, I did come to that realization that it, I was a bit out of my comfort zone, probably. I think I'd done, I, I had done pretty Got well at that system. point, you know, like, all right, yeah, nearly. Yeah, sure.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, I came back then with goals to do a bit further in that, but then there was, there was family time to start there. So, which led on to that next chapter. So yeah, no, good, good pickup, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 uh, <laughs> I did what I could for as long as I could, Jim, <laughs> um, yeah, that survival thing in the UK when, when you spent your last 30 quid on Gomez tickets and, 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 <laughs> and you, and you got to go to work to get tips. Like I had to get tips for a beer after work because if there were no tips, there was no beer after work for that week. Yeah, nah, that was a bit silly.
0: Now, maybe I don't know if I'm fast forwarding, but the jump to selling wine. So you're, you're in this space of, um, you know, working fine dining, understanding hospitality. How did you then go to moving product?
2: Yeah, sure. Like I said, I think that by then I had really, I had really started to love this, this, this uh, relationship thing with people, and I mean, like I said, it was always there, but I had my eyes on that a little bit. I reckon there's a bit of fatigue that comes in when you're sort of hitting, you know close to 30, and you do then start to look I don't know. I'd probably started thinking about the next five years for the first time ever, you know, I hadn't ever really done that. So I started buying I was running Jolly's boathouse, and I started buying wine from this lovely bloke named Nigel. And Nigel uh, had a tiny portfolio and we were pouring Cascabel Shiraz and one or two other things from Nigel and my relationship with him grew and grew. I went and opened the Hotel Richmond's first floor for the first six months there, snapped my arm sideways at the halftime break of the Port Adelaide inaugural victory in 2004 over the Brisbane Lions and had to finish then on the floor. I couldn't, I had a surgery on my elbow. So I had to come off the floor for quite, quite a few months which kind of abruptly ended everything actually. Um, so I was, I, was, I was pressing Nigel for a job by then. I wanted to sell wine for Nigel because I saw his lifestyle. He drove a black golf and was delivering wine to restaurants and was home by six, six o'clock on a Friday. And I just, it was, I, I, that was another aspirational thing. I wanted to get to that point. So I took him to Fad Bar, which is now the gallery numerous times, I would have bought him 15 schooners there over the course of 12 meetings. And then one day I just I just left that, one of those um, little schooner sessions with my CV on the table and walked out. <laughs> so I got the job. He gave me a job. It was great. I snapped the arm, Monty, by receiving a 30-meter lofted pass from Leo Marshall. Shout out to Leo Marshall where <laughs> I then uh, rolled back on some gum nuts under my foot. I'm now on my back staring at the sun, but I can't get up. Because I look over at my left arm and it is – so keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, yeah. The visual is not good for the listeners. It's, um, it's a 90-degree dislocation of the elbow. And it's, um, it's then big Drew. Shout out to the great Andrew Freeble, the only other St Kilda member in my um, circle. Drew gets it from here to here. He puts it back. And then uh, then it's still hanging out. Uh-huh. And then Jess and Simon drive me to the Flinders. I have surgery, whatever. I didn't see the second half. How was it? What happened there? They got up, didn't they? Port, <laughs> apparently.
1: Yeah. Uh, where was your Where was your wine palate
2: at this point? I reckon it was pretty sharp. Well, was you know, it always
1: natural to you? I mean, yeah, yeah, I
2: think so. Yeah, yeah. I'd learn a bit. I learned a lot of that in the UK. You know, I was in, I was part of some tastings there, which blew my mind. We were pouring things in the UK, which you just couldn't get your hands on, which I'd never seen before. I'd never I'd never known the the old world of wine whatsoever. And when we talk old world, we, we're talking Europe and, you know, uh, yeah, it was a pretty steep learning curve, that UK experience. So for me then, if I knew, oh, I came back to Adelaide knowing what a Cote de Rhone was, you know, it was, and it was great. You, you would have <laughs> been so, exo- seen
1: oh, to be so you know, exotic I think, back
2: then. I think, and I remember walking into East End Cellars and, you know, striking conversation with Gus about, when the next drop of bergs are in, and you know, so they you, you think you're one of these like
0: oh, typical wanker traveller. Yeah, 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 oh, I've been travelling through Europe, and yeah. you know, I'm back to now. Us. I must,
2: yeah, no, no, no. It was not that. It was just, um, again, you're skilling up all the time. You know, you're skilling up. So uh, I saw that that um could help me stay in the game, but by perhaps having a bit more of a lifestyle that I wanted to do, like start a family.
1: So it affords you the sort of business hours. It gives you a steady income. Yeah, you bought get a house. A, bought a house. Yeah. Um, was it always a just a stepping stone, or did you think maybe this is it for me now?
2: Yeah. Well, there's another plateauing then. I mean, that was that was brilliant. I worked for Tom and Nigel, so we were a little three man team there out of a out of a an office and in, in a house in Fullerton for the first five years before you know starting to.
0: You're getting pretty comfortable. Yeah. Well, well, it was, it yeah, for
2: sure. But we had this ripping portfolio. We had wonderful booze coming in. We started to take, we started to sell for importers from Sydney, vintage of Vine in Sydney, import champagne Gosse and many other great things, and we picked up the imports from Sellahan. So we had this book which was rich and really, really smart. So it was a great time. It was a really great time, and I'll never forget it. I'll um, look on it, look back on it, really fondly. But then there was this shift. <laughs> it was another shift. So I'd had, I'd had, you know. So we, I'm probably thirty then, and then Frankie, I had little, um, I had a little girl, and we were, and then and a boy, and then it was time. I I ran into Josh Baker again, <laughs> and it was, you know, would, you you wouldn't have been sober. No, I was, I was at coffee brunch, wasting time. Little reference point for listeners:
0: Josh Baker, episode two of Rooster Radio, um, a good friend of the Rooster, entrenched in Rooster culture folklore. Folklore, um, so yeah, if listeners is the to original refer rooster. Isn't he? That he, I think he is the original rooster. Yeah, yeah. Um, go
2: on, mate. Sorry. No, that's it. I don't know. I'll just keep talking. Do you want me to keep talking?
0: But you're talking about to Bakes,
2: and I'm what talking to Bakes. I'm like, I'm still loving the game, you know. But you do but get a bit complacent. You've got your sale. You've got your listings. What, what's and what's Bakes feeding you?
0: He'd be in your ear,
2: wouldn't? Oh wouldn't. yeah, he was at a pretty interesting point too. So yeah. we we connected again a bit when he was at Rigoni's, and I was selling booze to Aaron and. And, and then he opened Coffee Brunch. So we were, we were connecting a bit because we, we, we used to hang out a bit in the 90s. Like I said, that crown and scepter time and that sort of the paranoia of the 90s. I refer to that lovingly, that paranoia of the 90s. No one knew what they were going to do. No one knew anything. <laughs> There was no internet. There wasn't Nirvana.
1: But I was going to say, but a lot of angst.
2: <laughs> there was a bit of angst and there was just a bit of unsurety. Maybe maybe that's just me and my crew. I don't oh, know. I completely I, agree. You remember it?
1: Yeah. I mean, you, nowadays it feels like kids' lives, they're so sort of mapped about everything, you know, from, from oh, year yeah. eight onwards.
2: Man, yeah. So, absolutely. And I, and I just saw Bakes' face in my mind. Look, like, I can remember this. I can remember this time vividly, you know. We were at we were drinking at the Ed on Thursday nights, which I loved, loved, loved that place and uh, fell out of of, of of contact for no particular reason. That's just what happens. And then yeah, we were connected connected again a bit through that Ragoni's time. And then he opened coffee branch, and I was hanging out at the branch.
0: Was he wearing rollerblades at any point? No, I think he'd
2: come out of his rollerblade stage then, Baker. He um he can he could always get back into him though. Like he he'll, <laughs> he'll blade you he'll blade you off the streets, mate.
1: One of the things that I'm so envious of is in this hospitality game there is so much movement and so much opportunity and things are constantly changing. Venues are opening, people are moving, chefs are leaving, owners are being, you know, coming and going. I mean, it does provide you with options, doesn't it? If you want.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you stay alert, absolutely. I think you just said before, otherwise you get left behind when we we're mm. talking about, but you do have this, I think it's intrinsic in, in, the, in the nature of hospitality to... This this movement and this this flow this fluidity. I mean, we we to hang on to a great staff member and to work with them for over two, three, four years now would be you know it's it's fantastic. I don't want to set any precedent there for anyone listening, but it is it's it's a real it's a real it's a real shift in that, and that's really shifted in the last I think three or four years.
0: So you reconnect with Bakes, yeah. You mentioned you're getting feeling a little bit stagnant,
2: swapping San for Long Blacks and
0: yep, yeah. What well, how does the conversation
2: start flowing about the next idea? Yeah, he, uh, he's he's incredible at that. I don't quite know how to answer that, but. Well, I can.
0: He walks into this office and you'll have a, a new idea. You know, he's that sort of yeah, guy, isn't
2: he? Yeah, for sure. He'd he been speaking about Pill Street for a little bit. He'd been talking about the shops a bit. I reckon his. Um, It's a solid solid double there, Jim. Uh, I reckon he was... That's how much Bigford's cordial (laughs) that I would put into...
0: (laughs) That's the uh, campari that's being sloshed into a few glasses. There's
2: doubles being poured. um, The the relationship with the landlord, I think, for him by then was really key to it. And I think that he had someone in George Guinness who probably believed in him as much as we still believe in each other and everything. Like I think there was this real leap of faith from the landlord through Josh as well, so... Yeah. How do those things happen? I don't know. They're pretty magic. It certainly changed my life. I can, I can tell you right here with, um, with everything in front of us and everything ahead of us that it was a life-changing moment. And that's just me personally telling, saying that out loud. I could go on about it. I could probably do a fair few tears about it and do, give you another two hours on how significant that moment was when he said to me, what are you doing? Do you want to go for a walk? Grabs the keys to what is now clever little Taylor. And I know I can feel the weather. It's about 20 degrees. Jacket off, jacket on kind of weather. A little bit awkward, a little bit, what the hell are we doing? I follow him. We talk along the way and then we talk a bit of rubbish around the corner and then we're both standing in this room with Dana. So Dana was working with him as well. So the three of us go for a walk here. Um, look, magic, life-changing. What was there? Nothing. It's the um, Clever Little Tailor is the is the uh, the service uh uh, loading bay for the dry cleaner of the Fletcher Jones building, which fronts onto harley Street. There are now it's now carved into five tenancies, but at the time it was still a loading bay. No, no, it wasn't. It was a um, what was there? It was a it was a clothing shop that had been closed called Black Dragon Knights Blood Shopping Place. <laughs> I can't remember.
0: So you walk in, obviously it's nothing remarkable Mm-mm. at the time, but what's going through your head?
1: Because. For the listeners, I mean, that don't know Peel Street at this point was not the best of places either.
2: No, I think about a month prior um, it had been voted the scariest street in SA or something like that. Someone's got that story somewhere. So, uh, yeah, no, a bit of fear, a bit of fear. I think I didn't really – and I'll say this again out loud. I didn't really probably treat it seriously and give it the gravity that Josh was giving it for for a few weeks and months. Like I was a bit like, yeah, sure, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> When it became clear that I had to leave my job to do it properly, that's when, you know, everything got a bit real. And you can't halve these things, you know, and that's probably what I'd learnt up until then. too. And I still strive for that a little bit. I don't want to halve our the, the next project. I don't want to halve well, my influence for my business partners at Pink Moon or anything like that. You've got to do it. You've got to do it with everything you've got. So that was pretty big to give notice to the boys after eight years. And
1: the initial phases of uh, Clever Little Taylor, how did you split up, I guess, the roles and responsibilities and who was doing what?
2: uh what was yeah, the dynamic? Yeah, that like? was great Dana is another amazing human um he was really open about that really early I made it really clear that my family's first and I will be not the one locking the bar up every night and if we're going to do it that's how it's got to be and that's wasn't that was my condition he had some stuff as well you know we all we all aired our our desires and our you know um we always wanted to get it to a point where it was still owner-operated, but obviously didn't absolutely rely on us to. I mean, sure, you've got to be in it all the time in some way, shape, or form. But we always had a desire for it to become something we could, you know, then move on to an, another thing. So we we had this little plan about that. That all goes out the window for the first two years when you're just working your ass off and you and you don't really know what's next. Um, Thanks to the people like the great Lee Kelly. We can now plan and have some more vision in business, but we were we were just going at it. We were just having a bit of a crack. So,
0: so you mentioned that the big turning point was when you have to quit your job. Yeah. So, what did it? What are kind of the practical elements of you taking the step? So, you got to quit the job. You got to have the chat with the wife that this is what you want to do.
2: Yeah. I mean, well, that was happening concurrently. You know, you Jess, to, Jess and I have always yep. Yeah, had that.
0: Yep, so open, she's on board.
2: Open chat for sure, man, for sure, because yep. it's a dream, and you know, yep. she's amazing.
0: I mean, do you have to find cash. Like, what are the kind of practical ele- yeah, elements yeah, of yeah. actually going? Geez, I'm going to go from my safe, comfortable yeah. environment I mean,
2: to this. And, and and Jess had a job in government, and so that was mm. you know that allowed us to 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 have that in the bank or whatever. Um, definitely had to find had to find cash. Um, shout outs to Rex and Lorraine Filkey of uh, Loxton. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, That's you do. You borrow sounding some, bank. You borrow some cash from your folks, uh, a bit. You know, you get a, a small business loan from them from, from your lender um and you have a crack. I don't know, Monty, you kind of you just kind of Did do you shoot it. yourself? Yeah.
0: Heaps. Yeah, because these are the practical things. We've got a lot of people who are listening and, yeah, and I don't they're think, thinking I don't, about the junk.
2: I, I mean I I don't really want to put numbers to it, but I don't think no. the numbers were that scary In like the sense, I don't think it would have ended us as humans, Mm. but it would have like put us back quite a few years. I don't don't know. There's this, this perpetual belief that happens amongst and everything's people, you know? So Josh didn't just go and get the deal done and throw us the keys. Josh was in there painting with his partner, you know, three nights beforehand. We were, Dana's dad made everything. Um, my wife painted everything my mum painted the whole thing was just this you know total team effort I'll never forget opening night where it was yeah pretty I, special I was going to ask just before opening night
1: though was there a point at which the fit out's complete and you lock the doors on your way out knowing that the opening's coming just with this sense of wow this is like mine
2: yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and
1: how long what, well, before this... the opening did you actually <laughs> lock it, lock it up and go it's done
2: <laughs> um, no, it wasn't done for quite a while. I think that's the thing. If you, you, you had to keep, we had to keep working. We didn't have glass racks for the first month and ten yep. months, you know. So yeah, the fully formed, the idea of a fully formed hospitality venue open from day one is something I want to achieve, but we haven't yet quite done it twice over. So it is very much, um, it's very much something that you strive for. But yeah, sure. Now I don't know. There is this moment where you go in. Yeah, it's, is it the calm before the storm? What's we'll the analogy I'm looking for? There is a little bit of mm. emptiness then, just the moments before. bit of uh, flatness almost. Yeah, almost, yeah. And yeah. that's
1: happened a few times now with
2: yeah, when yeah, you're yeah. different I think venues. Yeah, flatness, it's just, it's, it's, it's almost then the work starts, <laughs> but you've done all this work, you know? Did so, you,
0: like, what were the kind of mix, mix of emotions? Was there, did you have this point like, geez, am I doing the right thing here? Or, um, you know, was there a bit of dread leading up to? Yeah, opening I reckon. That? No,
2: I reckon. I reckon. I reckon. As soon as it's open, that's that goes. Then you just sort of shit yourself that you're doing everything right. You know, I remember um, someone asking me for a digestive one night <laughs> on the second night. No, I did. I didn't even. My brain didn't work because we'd been there for. You know, we were there for eighteen hours a day for the first month. You know, my brain didn't work. And I think I just I just, I just said, um, sorry, <laughs> this interaction, I, I failed at the interaction. So you sort of shit yourself about that a little bit, like you're not getting that bit right probably still scares me a bit, you know. It probably goes back to that pulling off a great service idea um, or executing. So no, not fear about people turning up because I think Adelaide's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty fluid community of dedicated food and drink people, you know, everyone will probably give it a crack once or twice, yeah?
1: yeah. No, so that, was that be, wasn't
2: the fear necessarily. The fear was not doing it right.
1: But that was going to be my next question is that how deliberate were you in the vision of what you wanted to create and and how that plugs into maybe a gap or things that didn't really exist? In it? Yeah. Um, were, you, were you deliberate about that?
2: Yeah, sure. I, but I took my cues from – you take your cues from – you know your moments over the way. Mm. So I was, I remember being, and I still am very much. Um, shout out to the Weedy in Thetforden for providing eternal beer inspiration, which has now and gone into another chapter down there of brewing their own beer. But at that time, you know, getting your hands on things that other people didn't couldn't get their hands on was a real was a Bean. real probably marker for me. Yep. So I prided myself on that a fair bit. I reckon Dana's vision around, <laughs> Dana's vision around mixed drinks and what. To put in front of people to give them an experience in that moment was pretty special. Can't quite articulate that. He'll probably be rolling his eyes listening to this. But he he put enormous amounts of energy with Marshall, who and all that stuff, of course. But and Marshall King um, now of Pink Moon, um, and at the time, Clever Little Taylor. I think, yeah, certainly raised the bar, set the bar, whatever you want to say.
1: To i do kind of, not if
2: I answered your question there. No, and, and no, then and then and then there's Josh. So this sort of this this trying this trilogy trinity of people, mm, I guess, is it? Josh um, is then working his ass off with people. So he's always with people, bringing people in. You know, he's the front and center and soul of our business in that sense. So there is no one part of that that can work without the other. To complete the clever
1: little tailor sort of chapter before we move on to how this then moved into other venues. The amazing thing now, Monty and I were on the plane coming back to Adelaide last week and without fail, you know, what's hot or the places to go in the Qantas mag, there's Cliff Little Taylor. I mean, it seems to be kind of almost a tourist attraction now in that if you want to come to Adelaide and experience the bar scene, this is almost like the venue to come to. Just I don't expect you to respond to that because you're a bit understated and modest. No, I'll, 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 just, I'll, throw- <laughs> I'll just nod. Um, no, that's lovely to hear. It's lovely to hear. And, I mean, how, how, many, how many years now is that
2: from when you first opened? CLT, Clever Little Taylor. Yeah, yeah we're four and, a, four, and a, four and a half nearly. Four and a third.
0: What I find amazing, particularly as it's been no, fleshed we're out.
2: We're four, we're four, Jim. Four. Sorry.
0: As this chat has fleshed out the story a bit, you realise that CLT is this perfect mix of you've yeah. got – Crispian's country kind of roots. It's this warm, comfortable joint, but there's a bit of fine dining but there's a bit of yeah. bit of class about Elegance it. Elegance and And you get the well, you know, you go there and you get the olives.
2: Yep. Uh, I think it's Ali, Ali Ali, yeah. Ali yeah will, great bar manager. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: hand me a little thing of olives to go with the um, to go with the beer. And but I mean Ali
2: so Ali's story is intertwined beautifully too. Ali was there on the first night of service, you know. He 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 jumped in, I remember it. So um, he is now our brilliant bar manager. So you must have nailed the team, yeah, sure, oh, and yep. kept them yeah. relatively speaking. You say nailed. I, I agree with you, but but that's okay, and and that's great. But it, then there's tomorrow, then there's next week, and then there's next month. So yeah, sure, absolutely, absolutely. And I think I would hope that um, that anyone that comes and works for us and with us that 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 is the the first and foremost thing that there is team and family first
1: the mechanics of keeping a bar or hospitality venue healthy so what are the the financial aspects that you just pay particular attention to to make sure things are ticking over in the way that you want
2: yeah okay which is my role so i can speak to that um in a few stages i'm pretty i'm pretty uh i'm pretty certain i'm still learning in fact i know i'm still learning like i I'm right now, in fact, um, at a point where I keep saying to Lee, "I'm I'm still in the B grade," and so I need I need to I, I still okay. need to tick a lot of boxes um, to do it right. So I've done it okay for a fair while. So I'm not gonna I'm not being very direct. am I'm. Um, it's constant analysis. I think like the analysis, the online what,
1: turnover. Yeah, I think cloud based. I
2: think cloud based accounting really helps you. So you've got information now in your hand at any point in time. So we can we can analyze quite quickly. And what do you look for? Oh, there's benchmarks, Jim, about like having the business survive, right? But I'm not going to start obsessing about it. The first and foremost for us is the experience that we're talking about if you're getting a bowl of olives, right? So that yep. to us is the clear leader of um, benchmarking. Once. So I'm not going to talk to gross profit margins on packaged beer versus tap beer to you because I think it'll get very boring very quickly. Um, the most the most important benchmark is the customer experience. And I don't care if he can peg that as a cliche or you like, but it is the start and finish point of everything. So if we're not giving him a good time, um, which, uh, you know. How do you measure that? Yeah, so it's all people. Vibe. It's all people. Vibe. It's all people. The vibe metric. Well, I, would, I, would, I would suggest that, that Marshall at Pink Moon measures it in a slightly different way than, um, than I measure it for sure because he's acutely at the front and center of the service there, you know. Hmm. So his voice has to be louder in that moment than, than perhaps mine or, you know, other partners in that aspect. Oh. How, do you, how do you measure it? I'd be the big dose of good faith and Ma- trust.
1: Maybe I'll go the other way. Maybe I'll go what are the markers that show things are not well? So there's been thousands if My not name. hundreds of thousands of venues over the time that have come up and then not worked and gone bust or not they haven't been viable.
2: Um, oh, we'd take advice from our accountant pretty quickly. Yeah. So I think there's two answers to that. There would be that that fiscal element. So there's a whole financial in, set of rules. Out. Yeah, absolutely. Cash in bank versus you know, if you, is, 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 what percentage of your turnover is what your rent bill is. There's all those little markers along the way. And again, oh, we could spend some time. We haven't gone through um, backlines of the '90s and '80s yet, Jim. So I have. i you gonna, made some notes about that. <laughs> so. It. I did. I wrote the word rewalt twice. <laughs> um, he's, the, he's a utility, so he yeah. can play in many places. Uh, so, look, uh, now nah, there's Marcus for sure. Yeah, and I'll take advice on that for sure. And then I'm not. I'm, I'm still learning that. What are we four years in? I know
0: you were still trying to wrap that. up the CLT part, but before we do, um, when did you know that it was starting to kick off? Did it exceed expectations? Um, and there's a bit of pointing going on. Do we? We are
2: officially out of beer.
0: Oh, we're out of beer. Um, Sorry, Andrew, the words has gone out to Jess, um, one of our loyal Rooster Radio. Are we going to give her a producer title? Let's call her a producer.
1: Producer Number one, number one ticket holder.
0: Number one ticket holder. Absolute She's just agree, going out right? to
2: get more beer. For um, regular Pixar is nothing without Jess. <laughs> uh,
0: absolutely right. Um, Agreed. Now, my question is, what, what was my question again? I don't know. It was fairly long-winded. And no, I, no, no, I no, got, was it wasn't. No, hang <laughs> on. No, I remember. I wanted to know when it starts to kick off. You start thinking, we've got this nailed. And this is my transition point when you start looking to your next venue. So you must be feeling a fair bit of confidence in what you've built with Clever Little Taylor. At what point did you start to feel confidence in what you were doing?
2: Oh, it's tricky. I think we were thinking about Pink Moon about six months into Clever Little Taylor. Really? No. Yeah, absolutely. Why? We had Well, we had Marshall. Because
1: K- it's pretty obvious it was an alleyway, Andrew. Stop and-
2: cutting off. <laughs> <laughs> the Crispy, in, I mean. The... Um, <laughs> The boy Baker, the boy Baker, had his eyes on the alleyway about the same time as he did on the CLT. So that was being spoken about. So unfortunately, it doesn't quite work like the way you just described it. And neither does the Port Admiral Hotel. So that is one out of the blue too. You know where we'll
0: get to the port, mate. Don't yeah, worry. Don't have to, you don't have to force it in the <laughs> chat. We'll get we'll get to it.
2: <laughs> Any soundbite whatsoever. No, look, you can't. You can't, Andy. You can't. No rules. just called me Andy. I did, I did Bob. I've been called Andy <laughs> since I was five. <laughs> <laughs> the, there's no formula for that. It doesn't happen like that. It just doesn't happen like that.
0: But that's, a, that's a really good point because
2: it doesn't, people you don't, like you don't, me would wrongly assume no,
0: you're looking at this, you've got this benchmark of cash flow, whatever it might be. You know what? You yeah. can't
2: tell me that Bevo says to everyone in August last year at over at down at the Witten Oval and goes, all right, we've, we've hit our markers, so now it's time to win the premiership.
1: You know what their it master was? It doesn't work was? like that. Why not?
2: They built, their, they built their premiership. No, it
0: was on Why Not Us or something. Why Not Why,
2: why Not, not us. us. Yeah, great. So <laughs> how did we get to Bevo? Um, <laughs> the answer is no, it doesn't happen like that. So okay. it's pretty magic in that sense. I mean, for those that want to listen to it, and there will be eye rolling if my business partners ever listen to this, that it's truly magic how Pink Moon was formed actually. and Tell me more. Ah, oh, I think about it. I think about people. Again, I think about Marshall King. I think about Josh's energy and Josh's uh, uh, flat-out refusal to accept that it can't be excellent in a bin alley. and Dana's idea that was and is Pink Moon, which is to experience something that's a bit otherworldly within the city block. Um, we hope we still... Tick that box, they so need to describe
1: it because there will be some people that haven't oh, been. Okay, sure, Set the yeah.
2: scene, give us some context. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Pink Moon is uh two structures in a bin alley, which is I forget the dimensions, apologies, but is it about bedrooms, four meters? Maybe. It's about four meters across, yeah. The, the alleyway, and it is serviced by the basement of the building north of the alleyway itself, which is the only way we can have a cool room which we can pour some delicious beer from on tap. So there's a few little lucky things along the way like that. However, it is essentially, um, yeah, about 100 square metres between, spil- between two buildings with a courtyard in the middle, open to the weather, the courtyard. We have a brick oven at the back and a wonderful other partner in the business, Matt Standen, who was cooking around the traps a lot uh, with a lot of good festivals and ideas. But Great man. Yeah, and he's a ripper. So, again, this, this combination of great people.
1: Uh, and an architect.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the architect that used to um, reside in the roost in, in, in right in here, offices, actually, actually in this office. So Martia, Martia realized Dana's, um, uh vision and dream of the somewhat—I uh, said otherworldly before—that's a bit silly. It's more just the idea that you can have a uh, a, uh, a wood cabin, bit of dream time in the middle it's of the like city. Like a ski chalet. It's like it's a bit of escapism, huh?
0: Yeah, and award-winning. So what, world's best, was it? World's best small bar
2: design? There's been some awards won on the architectural front. Mm. So um, there's, a, there's been some design awards won internationally and locally. Um, the City of Adelaide Prize at the Architecture Awards last year um, for Mattia, which was terrific. Quite a few other little things along the way. We won the Gourmet Traveller Bar of the Year last year, which for us was Beach. about the the the. the, big, the Pointiest that it gets. That's the, the sort of pinnacle now. Game on that level. So, and that's all. Take a little say
0: time it. when you win an award like that. Do you take a little time to reflect on only your? Journey that night. And I think only that night. Yep.
2: Seriously, you know, because we flew back the next day with immense hangovers. Mine, in particular, Andrew was quite deep. Um, the <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, only that night. This, on we go. this
1: is a fairly boring question, but what what's the structure?
0: Uh.
1: What's the structure of the partnership? Structure, but only because a lot of the people that listen to our podcast will be fascinated by the sort of legalistic aspect of how you bring
2: all this together with multiple partners. You know, what what's the structure? Well, quite simply, um, the the three partners of Clever Little Taylor, Josh, myself, and Dana are three out of the five partners of Pig Moon Saloon, and um, we are quite equal in what we do. So that's that's unique to that business. Structures change though, you know, so I think that there's all manner of um, roads that I can take. So you have each other's back based on, you know, there's, there's, there's working partners in that and then there are essentially um, non-working partners. No one's silent though, so we don't really, we don't really do that.
1: It, I find it a critical aspect of your success, um, but making the partnership work is, requires so much attention. And energy over a period of time for precisely that reason. Some partners work, some don't. Yeah. Some, you know, like how be, do you I guys guess make it work? I've been pretty lucky
2: in that sense, and maybe you know you could say the same for the others. Like I think we've all been lucky in that sense. Mm. Uh, but there are obviously times when you're going to get scratchy
1: at each other. Yeah, sure. how, how do you flesh it out
2: when you do hit a bit of a roadblock? Yeah, well, we we do we do we do have our moments, but uh, I think that there is this really innate level of trust. Yeah, we've all gone and got um, our own. So we've all we've all tipped in our money and we've all done the work. Yeah. Um there is a pretty brilliant level of trust. Mm. So I can't really talk to it any deeper than that because I'll probably be disclosing things. And it's not it's not that it's a secret. But I know that if the phone rings more than once from a business partner, there's something going on and we need to address it quickly. So we all know, yeah. I think you'll just have to trust me, James, in telling well, that you that w- there's a lot you know, of trust. Dana has called twice
1: since <laughs> yeah, we've been as, here. <laughs>
2: sorry, d White. Um, <laughs> uh, he is as trusting. So Dana would Dana would back up Matt's suggestion about something to do with a light, which Marshall hasn't got the time to think about, which Josh has got other stuff going on, and I can do that quickly before I run out of time for the day because I've got to go pick up the kids. We just have each other's back, and I think that's all I can really say.
0: Has the role of the team changed over the last couple of years? Your role,
2: uh, my as well? role in the team.
0: Yeah, like in terms of what you guys do, how has it changed?
2: Yeah, it morphs. It probably morphs into the corners of where where I I can talk about myself. Where I'm, I'm my role in the business is what i always wanted it to be. Um, you know, what Dana wants to do in the business next is. Probably you know entirely up to him, which is the same as for Marshall. And you know, they, you can you can change these things as you go. Uh, we probably have the luxury a little bit of um, because we all back each other's skill sets, and we all can pour a beer and you know renovate the courtyard next week in Pink Moon, and we can all actually you know do stuff. There's a there's an ability to be a bit flexible. There's a lot. And say. we and
0: you know, I see you looking at the numbers, and then I see you rolling kegs.
2: Yeah, 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 sure, sure. I minutes. can't not roll kegs though, because I mean, my my time at cuddle Taylor at the moment is is quite compressed, and I actually feel that a bit. I, you know, I'm going to go down there after this and just you know touch a few things and make sure that things. are I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that it's not running great. It's mm-hmm. great. It, I can't not roll kegs every now and then, Monty. That's all I'll say. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, To
1: change uh, mood a little bit, what um, have there been any anecdotes, stories, just the lighter side of life? I don't know. Pub run. I mean, the the bar runs out of beer, or like you know, a grease trap backs up, or you know, like
2: there's plenty of that.
1: Are there any that stand out as just a moment where you just think, what's going on?
2: I think that that goes back to people again, doesn't it? Like I remember the stools at Pink Moon Saloon are three, like a little prong of three, like a tripod. You know, and I remember this moment when we were having a little dance on them on opening night, and mine wobbled in such a way, which could have been a story from the halftime elbow, the elbow. incident, right? Yep. And I think back on that and go <laughs> Like that could have got real weird real quick. A dislocated pelvis on the opening night, you know. <laughs> so nothing nothing in particular, Jim.
1: I mean, but you've had some you've had some celebrities come through Clever Little Taylor. Oh yeah, you?
2: sure. All people like a drink. I mean Whether or not Josh they...
1: tells us a story about the Rolling Stones coming through one night.
2: Yeah, there's a photo. I've got that photo somewhere. What happened? Off the there? cameras. Oh well, Mick came in for a drink, he was thirsty. <laughs> he played a gig at the Adelaide Oval. did. He, he had a gig on that week and he was thirsty.
0: He's just playing yeah. it down beautifully. Yeah. Who
2: else? I don't know, man. There's all sorts of people going in there. I like how he just, you know, it's the mysterious bar. They shouldn't even really but isn't talk about it. But not different for everyone, Jim? Isn't it different for everyone? You love the Mick Jagger story. If Peter well, Spider just, Everett walked into Clever Little Taylor tomorrow, <laughs> and even though he went off to ruck for the Hawks or whatever he did, I would still get a kick out of it. It's different for everyone. So some, some that are stuck some, in your mind then?
0: Well, Pav... Pav. It's it's become Pav's bar of what? choice. Yeah, sure, I mean, sure, um, sure, sure, sure. sure. I'm not going to give you much
2: there, Jim, because I reckon I could tell you about the time that, you know, Pink wanted to have the after party there, but we couldn't because we had another thing on or whatever. Like there's been a few Because you left. had a 21st
1: birthday. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah probably. <laughs> no, it was all very – it's nothing to – that, that stuff, that's not what it's about. So I know that it sounds good. I don't know. That's probably where you want to get to. I don't, it doesn't really yeah, turn yeah, me you, on. You're, so you're not true fine. to your hospitality rates. So I just want some gossip. Yeah, I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> Mate, the day Robert Harvey had a long black at Coffee Branch and I got the call to run around there and then I embarrassed myself in the matter of 30 seconds. Dan, just that, on that, that, that yeah, you
1: need, you'll you need to explain where your son got his name from. I can't, I can't leave with this podcast.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I just really always liked the name Lenny, James. <laughs> that is not true. That is not true. Uh, isn't he your mate, Lenny Hayes?
1: Oh, and this is your story, eh?
2: you think it's your mate. Lenny, <laughs> Lenny's your mate. Lenny's your mate. Lenny's my mate, I hope, one day. Lenny's my son.
0: Yeah. Uh, so the third instalment, the port. And, and just, just before on, we... No, no, no. You, just, you've just been cutting everyone off this <laughs> whole excuse interview. Excuse me, Eddie. I think it's important for the listeners
1: to have some context. In I'm not saying it was a plateau, but Crispin was coming and going from the precinct. And then in the last six to nine months... There's been an excitement, and you've been on your tippy toes, and you've been dancing around like Fred Astaire.
0: Mm. So was, there's something. This is exactly where I was going with it, mate. Uh, I, was, I was building. You I knew was what I was going to do before I did it. Hang too. on, hang on. You do no,
2: That's exactly it. Right.
0: So the port, a old pub, the doors shut, boarded up for many, many years. Um, it? You're Isn't a man it? of the west. Yeah. This thing is close to your heart. Can yeah. you tell us a bit about it? I can.
2: It? I can tell you some things. I could tell you plenty. I can tell you that I think, and again, you're not going to like hearing it, Monty, but it's all about, it about people. The people. Yeah, it's yeah. all about people. So uh, Hendo works for us in 2015 over at Clever Little Tailor. Hendo's a ripping dude. He becomes a mate. He's, now, he's mates with everyone, mates with us in our circle, whatever. Hendo has a business in Port. And he's pretty passionate about the port. And him and I start sharing stories and future, Hendo future dream Hendo the behind
0: low and slow? Angus Andrew, you're just cutting in a bit Hanks too yeah, much. Yeah,
2: yeah. You? No, no, no. <laughs> <you> just let <laughs> – <laughs> Oh, dear. Um, it's fine. It's fine. Pixar works just fine. Um, <laughs> uh, Hendo's got a business with a couple of other great blokes and they are proving sh- – I was going to say slowly but surely, but just surely that Port Adelaide – is a place which loves food and wine and beer, we hope. But we do know that there are people down there that are hungry and thirsty for the next little bit. And we're gonna open a pub that's been closed for eleven years. So that might sound a bit absurd. Uh it's an incredible corner. You've walked past it, Monty. Mm-hmm. Uh, on date night recently. Yep, and you would agree with me in saying that it's a, quite a resounding corner. It's quite a, a strong corner of the port. Yes, absolutely, an so, amazing little pocket. Yeah, as opposed to something that's probably like Peel Street or Lee Street, where you got to go find it a bit. Um, there's no, but there's it's no... massively
0: risky. This is why I think it's particularly interesting because everyone's been talking for many years in South Australia about the potential for the port, and there's all these reasons why it hasn't worked, and people have people have tried and failed.
2: What's the risk? Like, what, 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 what is the risk? Really, like, yeah. people don't like people don't support the venue. Not coming in and yeah, so people I not can't, coming. So I don't even. So this so you don't be, agree with that? No, either. no, no. It's not that I don't agree. I absolutely just can't see that. Like, it's I'm, I'm blind to that actually. So is that is that am I doubling up on the risk there? Like, am I being naive? I don't know. No, I,
0: I'm. I'm, I'm so, putting to you what, what so, some people would say.
2: I'm so not scared in a way. I'm heaps scared and also not scared so it's the risk is of course that there's no money in the till yeah on that level i think there's a few things you can do around that and kind of influence that a bit you can um open a bottle shop and host tastings and get people in and you know do some you know you can actually so there was probably an element a little bit over in the bar scene of opening the doors and just getting people to come in and just like that fingers crossed whereas here i think with a big sign saying all day fish and chips there's things you can actually do to agitate the market a bit which, which I see as an opportunity. I just see it it's as a massive a opportunity.
0: opportunity. So I'm a big fan of the port. My wife is a big fan of the port. And this date night that you refer to, we're 35 degrees, low and slow, with your mate um, eating too much meat. 35 degrees, magnificent conditions down there. Lighthouse at Port Adelaide, beautiful spot. And there's a handful of people yeah. on the wharf. But.
2: Potential. Right there. There's um there's an entire footprint of of the peninsula, um the that whole Birkenhead Peninsula. There is a there's the footprint, and then it gets back to West Lakes, and then around that sweeping Woodville Croydon area. I, I'm not going to point to stats there somewhere on a piece of paper. There are people. There are mm. absolutely people. Absolutely. There's fish and chips in Semaphore and nowhere else. Uh, there's a couple of OK taps down there. There's a couple of OK bottle shops. And so that's where I see it. where we it, see opportunity. Build it and they will come. Oh well, yeah, it has to be, doesn't it? Mm. Has To who, be who pitched the idea of the pub, or oh, hento, hento had a fair bit to do with that. I, I, he I know said, it. See
1: that thing over there, I think we can do something. No,
2: with that. no, 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 he he rang me actually specifically about the opportunity. Um, because he'd been speaking to the landlords, so and I know the landlords when I worked for them in the 90s at the store, so there's a bit of a relationship there. Mm. Um, not, uh, not, it's not, that's got nothing to do with the reasons, but I had. Some relationship there, but uh, Hendo certainly started the chats. Yeah. why? why, There's, there's, The obvious question is why aren't they doing it on their own or why aren't we doing it? Sorry to cut you off, Jim. Um, (laughs) It's quite complicit. So we bring a set of skills from myself and Josh and Dana and um, there are some really budding skills within the low and slow contingent as well as Stewie the chef. So – Everyone's got something to contribute, and we think it's a stronger unit for that. We think that, sure, there's seven heads there, but it's that three plus three plus one equals 10 mm. kind of f- fortitude about it.
1: Mm. Um, how do you.
2: Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah. so much Crystal sense. clear. Yeah. Uh, um, but you guys have got a track record of going into places that on the surface weren't necessarily, you know, buzzing and being a part of creating some atmosphere and a reason for people to go there. So I can, my view would be they're, they're going to reach out to you guys and they need you guys initially yeah, because sure. you've got the track record.
2: There's a government department going down there. There's bodies down there, man. There's. I'm at um, I'm down at the bear the Bearcat Stadium on St. Vincent Street with my daughter. She's playing ball every Saturday morning. I want some brunch after that. You know, there's opportunity.
1: Where does the your own beer come into it then? Because I did see on social media that um, you're going to be releasing a beer. People talking about that, yeah. Well, I I saw it on social media on Facebook. I mean, does that count as being out there in public? I'd Seriously, so. people, well, is that on
2: the thing? I was pretty sure
0: because I thought you were going to break that news on Rooster, but yeah, then no, you've right, gone yeah, and
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, I can announce Andrew on Rooster Radio that there will be a beer brewed in collaboration with Pirate Life Brewing for the Port Admiral Hotel. And wow. it will be a lager. And there's a few reasons for that. And it's really, really exciting. Reasons? <laughs> uh, so we map out the pub and we're doing our we're doing our soul searching and our, you know, our imprint and our footprint and what we want to do and we uh we get to the point where we don't feel entirely comfortable with just tapping beers that are the norm of the offer perhaps down there, which, you know, would come into that whole super dry, extra dry, everything dry vibe, Um <laughs> this draft, that draft, whatever, yeah? So with respect, we didn't really want to – we need, We wanted to replace that in a sense. Um And then it sort of snowballs a bit. I had some – Ideas and I snowballed them, and everything is now looking towards the tap one of Port Admiral Hotel being Port Local, which is uh, which is a beer, and it's also like kind of like a like a almost like a little way of life within the hotel. Port Local becomes what you do there. You have a butcher of it. You talk about it. You have a pint of it. It's its own thing, but it's also a lager, and really exciting.
0: The I mean, how much do you look at what the whole Frio thing, you know, in terms of
2: the Mick from Pirate setup? Life. Mick from Pirate Life reminded me early on that the Port Adelaide is the last undeveloped port in the world globally, yeah. So I've cut you off, Andy. Sorry. No, no, no. You've I've just started calling Andy. Andy. <laughs> um, yeah, so. Uh, but, you know,
0: even, you know, the little creatures thing, the Pirate Life yeah, yeah, for thing, sure, the for correlations sure. are there.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, you know Mick. You've met Mick. Yep, you know has been on the show. Absolutely. So it's really exciting.
0: Um, I expected you to elaborate a bit more. You just said and it's really exciting happy to. No, we'll brew
2: the beer with them. So it's a, it's like, no, the brand is the brand is ours with and it's brewed being being brewed um, for a specific reason. Yeah, like it's not just another beer to sort of overpopulate. It's got a specific reason. It's 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 house lager. I don't drink a lot of lager, but a lot of people drink lager. Um, You know, so we'll have ale on tap, but the lager thing for us really, so the move, the the you know, the, these, these sporting club moments over the years, all of that beer was was coined draft. It was Carlton Draft or West End Draft or whatever it was. Super West End Super, you know, <laughs> Melbourne Bitter, sure, right. So, but they are all lager yeasts, and they are all somewhat, um, mechanical in their delivery. Um, I I respect them but I also don't want to drink them. And so we want, to, we want to really, I mean, so it's quite a hard thing to brew. So the lager will be a bit of a challenge for, I mean, Jack Cameron um, and I laugh a bit about it at the moment in the planning stages of this, that it's actually not going to be the easiest thing to, to brew because lager um, takes time in tank. You need to keep it cold before releasing it for about a month. So it's not – so ale yeast works at higher temperatures. We, could, we can make an ale in the rooster coop tomorrow with the right equipment and let it bubble away. Yeah. I don't I'm exaggerating. We should make mm-hmm. rooster ale. Rooster, rooster, rooster ale. So lager will actually be a bit of a challenge but also uh, accessible enough to the drinker that doesn't really give a hoot to start with.
1: To get a read on where your drinking uh, preferences lie, at the you've you got five – drinks you're allowed on a Sunday, let's say. What five just drinks? Five? Yeah, just five. What, what five drinks are you going to have on a Sunday?
2: Okay. So do, I, do I, are you going to tell me what I'm eating? Nope. Okay. But I'm going to eat, Jim.
1: You can, you can eat to yeah, complement so your
2: drinking or your whatever combination you like. I have to eat, Jim. Uh, I would say that it works. Um, I thought I would say that it works. Uh, <laughs> I would say that it works around food a bit because uh, so I only drink wine with food really I don't sit around so I've got a deep love for wine deep love for wine which is different to other people's love for wine some people love wine some people just drink champagne some people finish the night in two bottles of red some people you know everyone's got their own little story with wine so for me wine is all about food I have to have food with wine nearly every time if it's a dry sherry or if it's um, weighty weighty mature red wine I must have food so I'm going to answer your question by saying that uh, I would mow the lawn first, okay, because I need a little bit of sort of, I need a little bit of blood Sweat. pumping. Yep. <laughs> and then uh, and then I'm having one or two, because I'm like, only five. Only five. You are oh, I'm gonna,
1: This is cut to the preferences here. What, yeah, sure, like, sure. You sure. can't beat around the bush.
2: Sure. I'm going to have one of them <laughs> as a oh. large, as a large... As a large hoppy ale, yeah. As soon as I've finished mowing the lawn, it's a large hoppy ale, though. Yeah. It's a 568 mil hoppy ale, right? I was wondering.
1: But no food yet? No,
2: no, no right. food yet. No, no, no. So there's a lot of, there's a thirst there's a slack there. So it's ticking boxes for me already. Uh, I get uh, fulfillment from large format hoppy ale and um, I'm salivating for what's next, right? Yeah. I have a quick shower and then I'm cooking food, right? So that's very important to know at this point in time. This is a nasty question.
1: Uh, You're more stressed about this question than (laughs) any any
2: other. um, So I'll jump to the third drink, right? (laughs) Can I jump to the third (laughs) drink? Okay. Depending on what I'm cooking, but let's just say I'm roasting a chicken because it's got a – okay, so it's roast chicken and 20 pieces of garlic and some some spuds, okay? And then – so the third drink is a glass of Chardonnay, okay? So I've got fullness there. I've got some richness but sort of – there's still some driving acid and it's going to really help me through the meal. And I'm really loving the modern Australian Chardonnay with my roast chicken. That's the drink number three. Um, drinks four and five uh, after the kids are in bed and it's another large hoppier ale or even… Back to beer. Yeah, 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 absolutely with whiskey. And so for me it has to be… Some PT whiskey with the beer, so that's drinks four and five. You're not
0: right. averse to mixing drinks,
2: no. See, I don't, so that's not a mix. They're, they're made from the same thing. They're barley. Or oh, you're talking about the jump from wine to beer? Well, yeah. ah, it doesn't really. The wines with food. The wine is the chicken. The chicken is the wine. The no, the, the, the second drink, yeah. by the way, the second drink is either um a Campari drink, which we're doing right now. <laughs> this is stupid. It's either a Campari drink or a glass of dry sherry.
1: Dry sherry that early on.
2: Well, it's cooking, right? So and I'm like, oh, fucking sound like a – do I sound like no, an no, absolute no, no. wanker? No, no, we love this. The, the sherry is helping me get ready for the Chardonnay. Wow. Much like the Campari would be getting me ready for the glass of Pinot. What a wanker. Um, I love uh, The – yeah, so that's a bit of thought goes in. A fair bit of thought goes in, Monty.
0: No, no, absolutely. I'm-
2: or um, I'll go to the pub with your gym and drink five beers. <laughs> So I'm pretty flexible.
1: So what's next as we begin? And just just prefacing, we always begin to finish our uh, – well, we finish our podcast – I'm just getting started. Well, I'm, I know, but I'm, I,
0: you've got – you I'm, you I'm, I'm conscious do. of your time. It's been um, an hour 23.
1: No, no. Uh, we, we will finish with rapid fire. I guess my last question is you, you, you've done beer, you've done, you know, bars, inner city bars. You've done big and you are doing big, bold pubs. You know, what's another dream aspect of this world that you'd love to grab hold of?
2: Just spitball. In a professional sense like that I can work in and yeah, control or you,
1: you know, that you can get involved in.
2: Right. What a ripping question. Um, so can I go off piste? Can I you go can do, outside uh, of the hospitality? Absolutely, yeah. yeah? Yep. Completely. Yeah. Right. Okay. So
1: you wouldn't want to have a little like hobby vineyard or you wouldn't want to have your own f- boutique farm maybe? Nope.
2: Um, I've got a couple for you. Can I give you two? You, you can give me as many as you want. So I'm at the William Creek Hotel recently uh, driving to um, Uluru on the halfway up the Unadatta track and I'm having a Cooper's Pale with my burger and I'm talking to Mim who's the legendary operator of the William Creek Hotel and we just get chatting and she says that she is – going to open a free-range chicken farm in um, like essentially a hobby farm but it's free-range chickens and she's just going to do 10,000 chickens in Spalding in the mid-north and I'm like and and briefly the world stops (laughs) moving and I go, I think that would be brilliant. Because of the upbringing on the farm, I think that I'm making peace with the chicken. That's all I'll say about that.
0: Go back to the farm days. Stewy low's hands he's holding the All of that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: So no, no. But also, I mean, I'm thinking he's probably slaughtered a chicken or two in his time. Yeah, so well, this is free range. No, it's like no, chickens
1: you, on like sun lounges. This is chickens having a
2: smoking a pipe. Jim, Jim it's it's making peace <laughs> with chicken. Yeah, yeah. But I just roasted one with Chardonnay. So apologies <laughs> to the chicken. <laughs> uh, so that to me really rang. It resonated a bit. Um, we had a chat about it after that in the car on the way to Coober Petty and it's not going to happen, no. but I love the idea of running some free-range chicken, but that's a bit absurd. James, I um, truly would like to um, be at some time point in time uh, involved in taking a club from Div 5 to Div 1. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if it can work in life, to dedicate your heart and soul to a club every night of the week, the guy that locks it up, I mean, and you'd almost be going back in time a bit there and it'd be a bit sort of nuffy. You refer to it as, you know,
1: <laughs> not nuff, no, because this is grassroots here. It this is, is this I is do, I do love
2: the idea that, um, you work as a team and get that done. That'd be pretty great.
0: Just quickly Googling div five, um, well, um, the, Woody, the Woody South 40 Cats are due five. Woody South.
2: Um, they're Nine just up the road, so five. no promises. But I don't know what, what skills I can bring to that. Caraca. Just I'm some people. You. Love. Just a bit I'm of love, Trying to Jim. find
0: your team. It's not immediately Whilst obvious. Once you do that, Monty,
1: I'm, I'll kick off rapid fire because somehow I think rapid fire ain't going to be that rapid. Um, Slow fire,
2: <laughs> as usual. How's it going? Is, we, is it all going Okay. We are we are having a great old time. Absolutely.
1: Uh, so you're going to pick uh, the five most influential St Kilda footballers on the ground. Who do you pick?
2: At any one point in time. Yep. Across many decades. The, the, you,
1: or in the, or that in that you you consider. Team. Yeah. No, 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 the, no. Across all decades.
2: It's already not rapid, isn't it?
1: No, no but that's the whole point. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, never, yeah, sure, it's sure. never rapid.
2: The five most influential.
1: On ground. So the people that can influence a game. No, no. The people that can influence a game. I'm not talking about your favorite or the best. I'm saying the most influential uh, players on the ground.
2: Okay. Brendan Goddard. Anthony Lockett. Nick Rewalt.
0: He's going to his notes
2: Robert Harvey That's a good that. question though it's four that's four that's four that's four I want to say Nathan Burke well, uh it's not influential sorry mate
0: So Hayes you man Hayes
2: there's another sort of Burke like character so you're talking about influential I ex- mm. I expect that could work turn to be done a game but on- I expect them to do what they're doing that's why I said Goddard first because that bloke could turn a game um yeah, the fifth. The fifth is a bit of a hybrid of um, of of Lenny Trevor and Barker. Nathan, and also uh, Nicholas Elvis yeah, Winmar. Yeah,
0: no, we're heading down a footy path. But the one question that I wanted to put to you earlier was: the most influential people throughout this crispy and filky career, the most influential people on your life. I'm not talking footballers. I'm talking people that you dealt with day to day, whether it might be parents or otherwise
2: my wife easily easily my wife um by a streak on that level and then <laughs> i got a band of pretty okay, there's there's some i don't know if i should do the name thing but yeah. there's okay sure sure there's um there's a dear friend called phil there's a dear friend called leo they they kind of we we <sighs> We, we, we end up sort of talking about aspirational things very quickly and how to achieve them. And that's not to say that, you know, I've got other mates that are equally as close or whatever. But, yeah, in terms of that, I think I'm answering a question there. No, it is. Yeah. yeah, so they're both away at the moment, looking forward to their return. Um, Shout-outs to all my other besties out there. Uh, I would say that all of my current business partners, in particular Josh Baker, in terms of influence, you're talking about influence. a few others there there's quite a bit of my dear friend Nigel who I talked about before passed away three months after I stopped working for him and that was was pretty tough Mm. so him and Tom um, were probably quite formative so Tom was also the other owner of that business they were quite formative in my setup of how I am with people now and all of that Um, we did his uh, 50th birthday at CLT and then two weeks later Passed away, and it was pretty tragic. So, I can happily say that that was that would there would be an influence there on that level from those boys, yep. you know. And I'll highlight Nigel there for sure and Tom. So, uh, influence. Have I answered it? I yeah. could go on. I could go on. No, you have. That was good. Yeah, sure, sure, sure.
1: Uh, two of your strengths that you bring to the table for your non side team.
2: Voice.
0: Boys.
2: And <laughs> a lot of chirp, man, a lot of chirp. Uh, and I would say that um, I can, um, when it's not a floater, I can deliver a good long ball there, Jim. <laughs> so is that a strength? Yeah. <laughs> Getting it right half the time?
0: Division five teams, Blackfriars, CBC, uh, Glenunga Rams, we've got Paraka, Rosewater, uh, Woodville South, Lockleys, Kenilworth, did I mention Glenunga, Hope Valley, Greenacres? Who are you going to take on when the offers come through?
2: I actually just blacked out there a little bit in halfway through. Can you repeat them? <laughs> I'm not joking.
0: CBC, Greenacres, Paraka, Rosewater, Blackfriars, Woodville South, Kenilworth. Uh, it's the Woody
2: Cats all the way. Let's take the Woody Southcats to the, to, to the ones. Uh,
1: the best amateur sports person you've ever seen play. The- Could be football, basketball,
2: cricket. Yeah. I, and again, it's just one. Yeah, it's rapid fire, but yeah. I'm going to list about three. Yeah. Well, uh, okay, I'll Can give I you tell you three. a story about something? I'll this give this you three. is a really yeah. Okay, um, can I just tell you that I love my brothers too, Rowan and Darren? <laughs> just had a bit of a moment there. That's when I blacked out before. <laughs> Bro, Dan. Uh, Rowan, Rowan and Daz. That's a whole other story. We'll do a podcast about those blokes another time. Absolutely. Um, in terms of influence, um, so I went to, a, to I went to I, I finished school at Emmanuel College, and there was a bloke getting he, heaps of it in the twos, and not really getting a look in the ones, um, called Travis Modra. And Mods is a great motor of mine, but he was um, s- small in stature. I don't know what Mods' height and weight would be. I'm not even going to make it up. But he's about you. you know, he's a bit like Betsy probably in that sort of mould. Couldn't really get much of a sniff at it. Mods goes to Div 5 straight out of school and starts ripping it in half. Mods then goes to Goodwood and plays in four grand finals, wins three of them, and is on the half forward flank of their team of the century. And to me, that demonstrates. He here, he so to me, to me, that demonstrates where he always should have been. Sure, grew into his body, whatever you want to say. Was he the best amateur footballer I ever saw? Oh, I don't know. I saw Eugene Warrior kick five in five minutes in a granny once. Like whatever. Playing for Salisbury North, so there's plenty of those cats out there. I was watching my brother boundary umpire, Loxton Under-18s, when Tony Mondra took easily the best mark of all time. No one got it on film. You'll have to believe me. Describe so there's it. those stories Describe
0: too.
2: Describe it. When Winmar used to run back and then get propelled with that sort of motion or he would hit it in a contrasting sense so you'd, and it would all be angular. Yeah. It was one of those angular numbers where he hit the bloke's shoulders. He didn't climb onto them. He hit the bloke's shoulders with his knees. He was already there chopped his head off kind of thing. Uh, Am I still talking about amateur footballers here? (laughs) Plenty of them. Um, That Goodwood Saints story is another whole one. I don't even know a lot about it. I was at the start of that thing playing in the C grade and I saw it happen then over the ensuing years in the newspaper. It's remarkable. The the that whole dominant dinners, the old the old dominant dynasty idea. Don't worry, yeah. I heard
1: enough about it from Clint Gates. I'm sure you do. Gatesy, um,
2: shout out to the Gatesy. Has many, the knee, Gatesy?
1: Oh, don't ask. He's okay. hobbling around, still complaining about
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you're just going to have another question, eh? La-
1: last quick, last rapid fire question. Uh, and I asked this one a little bit, but your the like the cheesiest thing uh, that you're either music either. Either music that you listen to, cheese music, or uh, the dirtiest food that you eat that has no bearing Can't on both. health or nutrition.
2: Oh, really? Or you can do both. Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, there's so much cheese in the music. Um, really? Oh, yeah. Well, so I started with, you know, the steady diet of Run DMC, Raising Hill, but then discovered metal and then discover and then we were in the 90s. So we were Stone Table pilots through, you know, everything that went from there. So I can closely and I will admit when I was writing, I was writing, um, stories about Stewie Lowe in the year eight journal. I was also writing stories about Jimmy Barnes. And recently on my trip in the Outback, um, I got a bit emotional when flame trees came on. Is? Yeah. So thanks Jim. (laughs) Getting that out of me. Food? Can do flame trees loud if you need me to. Um, yeah, no, food, food, yeah, sure, sure. Oh, it gets, yeah, it gets pretty deep. ever
0: you have a,
1: you know,
2: McDonald's or Henry
1: no, no,
0: Jack's yeah, or both yeah, of those things this yeah. <laughs> Do you have a taste for Australian rock?
2: Because
0: um, I, I think I've seen on your… I will say
2: that I can't drive past a Nordburger at the moment. Nordberger. It just gets me every time. That's all I say.
0: What did I, I saw a photo, I think, on your Instagram of a few legends. It was yourself, Tim Rogers from UMI. Oh, was sure. it Bernard think,
2: Fanning? Uh, no, no, that was um, Josh Fanning know. from City Mag. Was it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> close enough
2: <laughs> I okay, didn't even Josh, see it Josh Fanning and I goal umpire the rec community cup and have for the last two years and bang
0: on the what community cup
2: the rec community cup it's the old uh, it started in Melbourne 20 years ago yeah homeless uh, rec link yeah 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 hmm. Google rec link uh, hmm. do great things I believe so uh, Josh Fanning and I um, goal umpire and then Tim Rogers was in the crowd so that was a good photo
0: I didn't even look at the photo properly. great research Monty <laughs> it was just yeah anyway moving <laughs> yeah. right along well, I think we're moving
1: right along to the conclusion, unfortunately, because we could see it and I think we'll have to do a point, a, uh, a second part to this. I um, feel we've
0: got a little bit self-indulgent towards the end there, but uh, one uh, uh, in-joke we didn't talk about was this guy's real name. Is it Nordic or Swedish? I'm not sure.
2: It was quite Beglish,
1: ish was
0: it? Nus. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Can oh, I think it was actually- I'm going to be interested to see how you describe really this one. Do you
1: really want to put in the it in a public, public no, <laughs> it, it. You seem to have grabbed onto this.
0: <laughs> no, no, you're <laughs> the one that it, that um, anointed him with the with the name of Nuss. So I was actually going to ask you, James, how you came about giving a guy who's you know, crispy and filky with the name just, of I'm Nuss. Gonna, I'm well, just gonna I'm not going to black out for the next minute.
1: I'm not I'm not gonna go I mean look it's like a you know a footy trip. What's what happens on a footy trip yeah, people, are th- people are gonna think it's holding, much worse other now than, than what it is. What I will say is that I think Nus is a very appropriate um sounding nickname. Um albeit you've taken it to new levels with your public displays of Nus and your public Im- nussings. Your public nussings and your ability yes. to embarrass uh not only Crispian but Jess. Oh, look, so not, it's, uh, it's, I think I think that's where we'll leave it, Andrew, unless you want to elaborate. James, you
2: once said Crispianos and that's where it started. It's got (laughs) nothing to do with anything else and uh, I I think I need the last word on that. Thanks very much. (laughs) We don't mention Bob Saget, do we? We don't mention (laughs) Bob today. No, 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 no. we don't. don't. don't.
1: Well, Crispianos, um, we've been trying to get you on this podcast for many months now. So thank you for coming on and and just having a chat about all the things that you're, you're passionate about but also giving us the story of... Um, building th- what will be three amazing venues and, um, and becoming a real player in the Adelaide hospitality scene. So
2: thank you. Very uh, grateful, I think. Thank you, Pickstar.
0: Thanks for listening to Rooster Radio. We talk to interesting people doing amazing things. Make sure you subscribe to our show if you haven't already. And if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review. Check out our website roosterradio.biz to connect with us and listen to previous episodes.